Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Four Foundations of Flowering Faith, a subset of my weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Today's session is similar to the Sunday School class on March 8, 2020. The subject was the fourth of the four foundations, and the title was Sharing Jesus, What Works and What Doesn't. This three-lesson subset begins with the testimony of the woman at the well recorded in John 4. But before we can look at her testimony, we need to look at why she had a testimony. So let's begin with verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. To give you a quick reminder, refresher of the way Israel was laid out at the time, it was under Roman rule and divided into provinces. Judea was a province in the south, and Galilee was in the north, with Samaria in the center. And so Jesus had to travel through Samaria to get to Galilee. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. In fact, it's interesting that we have on good authority that Jacob's well is actually now inside the Greek Orthodox Church called St. Photini, which is part of an Eastern Orthodox monastery there. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Oh, so now we see what Jesus is doing. He started with something ordinary in order to get a conversation going so that he could turn the subject matter to spiritual things because he knew this woman's heart was in desperate need. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You probably have heard before that it was customary for women to do the hauling around of the water and they would typically go in the evening and use it as a social time to catch up with each other, talk, 
then they would take the water back to their home so that when everyone woke up in the morning, they would have a fresh supply of water and that wouldn't have to be the first job of the day. So it's interesting that she came at noon when there weren't going to be other women there. And uh, the conclusion that we may infer from that is that she was trying to avoid the other women of the town. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. That was a pretty uncomfortable subject that Jesus brought up about her past and the fact that she'd been married so many times and she was living with someone. And so instead of dwelling on it, she immediately switched it around. If he was wanting to talk about religious things, well, maybe she could get a discussion going, or maybe I should say get an argument going. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. You have probably also heard that Samaria had been invaded many years before by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians had intermarried with and contaminated the Jewish religion of the people that had lived in Samaria. And the temple, which was in Jerusalem, was really a part of the nation of Judah. It had split after King Solomon's time into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern king didn't want people going down to the capital, Jerusalem, in Ju Judah, and he encouraged people to do a kind of corrupted worship that didn't involve obeying the things that were in the law, in the Torah. And they also had turned to idolatry. So that is why the Samaritans weren't even really considered Jewish. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, Jesus went on, will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Sounds like she might be putting things off. If he's going to talk about these deep and difficult things and what true worship consists of, she sort of waves her hand, you could say, and says, oh, well, when Messiah comes, we'll talk about that more. He'll tell us. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, and we finally get to the subject matter, for today's podcast about sharing your testimony, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, 
come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So we see how she came to faith in Christ, and the first thing she did was share it with others. So I want to focus mostly on the three steps that she took when she witnessed, but let's back up just ahead of that and look first at her motivation. There in that passage that begins with verse 28 from here in John 4, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, and it goes on, but it's interesting that someone would drag a clay jar, which must be unwieldy and pretty uncomfortable to carry, all the way out to the well outside of town, and then not fill it up and take it back with them when they go. Why would she simply leave it and rush back to the town? And the best conclusion that I can reach is that she was really in a hurry. She was urgent, in other words. She was excited about this man that she had met who said he was the Messiah. And she had just been transformed by her faith in his message about worshiping God in spirit and truth and about having living water that would spring up in her to eternal life. And so she wanted others to be involved in this, which is especially interesting because it appears that before by coming at noon, she had been trying to avoid contact with others. It was kind of embarrassing. She knew that people looked down on her, apparently. And it was just easier to go the other way and go to the well at a time when she wasn't expecting to find a lot of people. So whatever it was that happened inside her heart, it was so wonderful that now she wants to involve people, face people, tell people. So the motivation to witness was wonderful. But now let's look at the three steps of that witnessing that we see in the two sentences that follow that she left her water jar. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The first part of that is simply come see. She invited them to have a personal encounter with Christ. You know, that is something that we can do today. Not that we can bring people to see a physical Christ on the earth, like when he was here 2,000 years ago, but we can invite them to church or to a Bible study or to a small group. And in that way, they can have an encounter with him. That also occurred in John chapter 1 when Jesus was first calling his disciples. We read in verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said 
and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And here we go, verse 42, this was what I was getting to, and he brought him to Jesus. So now we have two examples from the scripture of people who had an encounter with Christ, and then they went to someone else and they said, come see. Are you doing that? Have you ever invited someone to come to church with you? Or if you have, has it been lately? Others around you need to have the same wonderful experience with him that you have if you are a born-again believer. Then she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. So that was her own personal experience. That carries an awful lot of weight. In a day and time when people are cynical and we live in a scientific age and so maybe it's hard for them to believe some account that's written somewhere, but if a real flesh and blood person comes up to them and says, this is what I personally experienced and I can tell you he's changed my life, then it's a little harder to argue with. It reminds me of how John opens his first epistle at the end of the New Testament. The same John that wrote the Gospel of John that has chapter 4 with this story of the woman of the well also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John right before the last two books of the Bible, Jude and Revelation. And he opens up 1st John chapter 1 verse 1 and says that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So instantly, his testimony, his epistle has a lot of gravity because he says, I was there. I saw the physical Jesus. I touched the physical Jesus and I heard his voice with my own ears. Have you shared your personal testimony with your friends or your co-workers or your neighbors or your family? Do they know that he has changed your life? And if they don't, why don't they? There's another example in Mark chapter 5 verse 18 about the demoniac who was marvelously delivered when Jesus first encountered him. He lived among the tombs and he cut himself with stones and people would try to chain him up and he would break the chains and he went around all the time without clothes. Jesus cast the demons out of him and he was made well. So in verse 18 we read, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, go home to your own people and, and now we get to the point, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. So here we have a direct command from Jesus to someone to go and say, this is what Jesus did for me. And it's marvelous. So first was the invitation, come see. And second was a sharing of the actual personal experience. And then 
This woman at the well, as we get back to her story, ended her testimony by saying, could this be the Messiah? This is similar to bringing someone to a decision point today in a testimony. She is asking them to consider making a judgment about the identity of this Jesus Christ. And so they begin to think, I wonder if this is the anointed one that we have heard prophesied about in the law. In John chapter 1, 41 and 42, we were talking before about how Andrew went and got Simon Peter, his brother, and said, come see. Don't forget that we also read, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And so he told his brother outright, I have made a judgment call here. This really is the one we've been waiting for. So when we share Christ with others, we don't want them to get the impression that we think Jesus is wonderful because he's a great teacher or he gave some interesting prophecies. We want them to know that we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and he can transform the heart. And then we can ask them if they would like to do the same. Why is that so very important? Don't forget that in John 8, verse 24, Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's not a popular message today. Most of the world would like you to believe that there are many ways to heaven or to God or to spiritual enlightenment or whatever they would like to call it. So Jesus made a very polarizing and bold statement when he said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In that same book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So now you can see why it's so important to end a personal testimony with this declaration that Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who actually can be the go-between or the intermediary between a person and the Heavenly Father. After you share your testimony with someone, then it's up to them and the Holy Spirit what happens next. And it's interesting in this account of the woman at the well, the people of the town said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So there was a role there for faith and a role there for the spirit. Let me remind you that Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So you share your testimony and then they can hear the word preached or they can read the scriptures for themselves and faith may arise in their hearts. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. After the witness then also, the Holy Spirit can draw a person. John 6, and 65 both say the same thing, quoting Jesus, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. So this relieves us of any responsibility except to simply and sincerely share our own testimony and invite them to consider that Jesus is the Christ. After that, their faith and the Holy Spirit working in their hearts is completely up to them. After that, their faith and the Holy Spirit working in their hearts will do the rest. The bottom line then, sharing Jesus, what works and what doesn't, begins here in John 4 with this story of the woman at the well giving her personal testimony, and this was very successful. It was a way that she was able to reach some of the world for Christ, and you can and should do this too. Go tell. If this podcast has been a help to you, please pass it along.